BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Hello, my name is Jordan Klein, and I am the host of Fireside Paranormal Podcast. If you're into ghosts, UFOs, cryptids, the unknown, then pull up a chair and join me by the fire as we hear real stories from real people. Each episode, I interview paranormal investigators, authors, experts, and legends in their field. Here at Fireside Paranormal Podcast, we have something for everyone. If you're an experienced researcher or if you're just getting into it, we have a spot for you. We're found anywhere you listen to podcasts. So grab your friends, tune in, and remember, don't be afraid, only believe. You ever seen a ghost? Been abducted? Heard your name whispered from the other room when you're all alone? No, you say? Me either. But if you're like me, you're still fascinated by the paranormal. It seems everyone else has had an experience, and you want to believe it all. So why doesn't it happen to us? What does it all mean? How does it work? Is any of it real? Welcome to Paranorm Girl, a show that will attempt to answer these questions by taking the paranormal completely apart in search of proof. I'm not a blind believer, nor a hardened skeptic. I'm just looking for answers and willing to accept what I find. Welcome back to the Paranorm Girl podcast. I am your host, Kristen. A couple of things to chat about right quick before we jump on into the awesome conversation I've got ready for you. First off, what in the world are you all doing this Saturday, June 11th, at 2 p.m. Central Standard? If you said... I don't know, Kristen. What is there to look forward to in these strange, strange times? I wish, oh, how I wish, there was something fun and exciting to do at that exact time from the comfort of my own sofa. Fear not, friends. I've got you. For I am formally inviting you all to the Paratalk Podcast live-streamed event, discussion, roundtable-esque, paranormal-infused chat hosted by Paratalk Podcast's very own Reeves Cook. And, uh, you know, of course, I'll be there as well. This will be the first of many, I'm sure. If you are interested in joining us, head over to YouTube and subscribe to the Paratalk Podcast channel. See ya Saturday. Second piece of excitingness I want to share, I've been getting around, you guys, meeting new people, making fast friends. Suffice it to say, I'm a real social butterfly these days. I was so thrilled to be invited to have a chat with the guys over at the Middle-Aged and Creeped Out podcast. Y'all, 
Todd, Sean, and Nate are so freaking cool. Their show is so much fun. And like I told them when we were talking, when you're listening, it's one of those shows that makes you feel like you're just sitting in on a conversation with your friends. Hey guys, this is Todd, Sean, and Nate, and we are from the Middle Aged and Creeped Out podcast. We drop full episodes every Wednesday night or Thursday morning, and our Middle Aged mini episodes drop on Saturday afternoons at 3 o'clock. And if you enjoy discussions about the paranormal, weird, unexplained, and just plain creepy, then check out our show. You can find us however you listen to your favorite podcasts. If you like what you hear, don't hesitate to give us a five star rating and review. Telling a friend, family member, or even a coworker about us helps the show. And you can also find us on Facebook and Instagram by searching Middle Aged and Creeped Out. And our TikTok is at Mako Podcast. And that's with two A's. Well, Nate, what do you think? That's the end of our promo, and that's a wrap. Well, there you go. So until next time, Creepies, Nate is your sound engineer. We are your hosts, Todd and Sean. And they are middle-aged and creeped out. Keep it creepy. You can catch our discussion next Wednesday the 15th is when it will drop. Uh, Check it out and give them a little rating and review while you're at it. We all can use a little love from our listeners from time to time, and it would give them all the more reason to have me back on someday, which would be super cool. All right. Settle in now. Steve Hummel was my guest this week. Some of you out there might recognize the name if you have ever watched any of the investigations done by Paranormal Quest. They've got quite the following now on YouTube, including myself, and their documentary-style episodes are all incredibly well-produced, well-researched, and thorough. I just finished the Heymond House investigation, which was really interesting, but it's going to take me some time to get through the rest because these guys have been regularly investigating for around about 10 years. I was especially interested to speak with Steve, though, in regards to his museum, which he currently runs out of West Virginia and is comprised of rooms upon rooms of haunted objects he has accrued from various investigations over the years or has been given by folks who just need to get these objects out of their possession. So we do spend some time talking all about that. Enough preamble. Please enjoy my conversation with paranormal investigator and owner of the Archive of the Afterlife Museum, Steve Hummel. I am so excited to bring on my guest today. Steve Hummel has worked as a paranormal investigator with Paranormal Quest, which is a group that has gained uh, quite a respectable following over on YouTube, posting the investigations of their numerous cases and locations across the country. He also owns and runs the archive of the Afterlife Museum out of West Virginia, where he collects and houses many, many haunted and possessed items. I'm sure that might come up in conversation today. Uh, Steve, welcome to the show, sir. I'm really happy to have you on. Thank you very much. Uh, I've been looking forward to uh, getting to do this. Oh, same, same, absolutely. So um, I- I've been devouring Paranormal Quest 
videos this week. Um, I, I know we, we were just talking before we, we started recording, and, and you've got uh, a bit of life that you're, you're tending to. So, um, I'm, I, you know, I'd love to still ask you about it and, and uh, see if we can, you know, get some cool information about them because uh, you guys are just uh, really cool, and I'm loving the content, loving the channel. Um, how long have you guys been working together? TQ's been together for probably the better part of nine to ten years. We all met, we all became friends um, while either volunteering or working at the former West Virginia State Penitentiary uh, here in Moundsville, West Virginia. And um, <clears throat> because of that, we've uh, we've developed a very strong uh, friendship. I would probably go more to say a brotherhood because uh, uh, we're very, very close and uh, we, we do uh, really, you know, cherish the time that we get to spend together investigating. And unfortunately, like you said, I haven't been able to be very involved with it due to um, helping take care of my grandparents, uh, my college work, uh, having to carry two full-time jobs, pretty much, one with the museum and one with my art commissions. And I'm uh, also presently working on my fourth book. So it's TQs uh, where in a position where two of us can, actually work full-time producing for PQ. You know, the YouTube page is making enough where two of us can basically live off that and um, be able to keep PQ uh, moving forward, you know, keeping the wheels moving forward at all times and producing one uh, one episode uh, a week, I think is what we're they're trying to keep it at, Ryan and Dave. Uh, so, but yeah, we've, uh, we've been together for a little longer than that. We all started with... Uh, Dave's mom's paranormal group, Mountaineer Paranormal. Uh, she and her group used to come up to the prison and volunteer on the public investigation nights as volunteer guides, and that's how we all got to meet. Uh, you know, I, I worked there. Ryan's Ryan worked there. Dave volunteered there, and Jason, also a member of PQ, was uh, uh, friends of Holly and Dave, and he came up on a couple of their volunteer nights, and we all met him because of that. And long story short, that's how. That's where PQ started from, from Mountaineer Paranormal, and uh, also, you know, again, by meeting all at the uh, West Virginia State Penitentiary, which is kind of funny. So whenever we do uh, interviews and stuff uh, at Paracons, people ask, you know, how did you guys meet? Where did you guys meet? We just we met in prison, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. which is not far from the truth. Just, you know. That's awesome. Wait, what were you, what were you doing at the penitentiary? Well, originally, um, I was an actor in the high school, uh, high school's haunted house there. And then eventually the M MEDC, that's the organization that runs the tourism there. They took over, uh, doing their own haunted house there. There's two years where I was working the haunted house when the high school did it. And then pretty much every Halloween after that, that the MEDC was there. So that's maybe about. Because I was, I was a tour guide, an actual tour guide there for about 14 years. So we can add about two years beyond it for 16 total that I've been kind of working in or around the prison. Uh, There's other two years being that that was when the high school uh, haunted house was there. Okay. Okay. Um, in, in all of that, because that sounds like a lot of stuff that was going on before, you know, PQ started and, and officially doing yeah. the paranormal investigating. Had you done any investigating before you, you met up with them, with Ryan and Dave and, and them? Uh, we did a lot with uh, Mountaineer Paranormal. Okay. Okay. Um, 
before that, I, the, I, I can honestly say, like I'm sure every, a lot of other people in the field will say, the interest was always there. Um, I remember, I mean, for example, as a kid, like where I live, uh, they unfortunately just tore my grade school down, which used to be a community center. But I remember being in like my class and like one of my classrooms during grade school waiting for the scholastic book fair to come because I had money. I was going to buy uh, ghost story books, goosebumps by R.L. Stein, And, you know, oh, so the, yeah. the interest in the odd and creepy was always there. Mm-hmm. And then I uh, graduated into Unsolved Mysteries and <laughs> 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 Night Gallery and all that stuff. And yeah. it was pretty much the normalcy after that. So that kind of planted the interest. And then after, I'd say, honestly, after starting at the prison, you know, when it was the haunted house and eventually the tour, tour guided uh, time frame, that's when I started meeting other people who did it. And you kind of learn about it that way. I'm like, well, this is actually kind of fun and exciting. And interesting so that's when i think i would say it officially started you know when i first started doing the haunted house there i got you okay well how many um how many investigations do you think you guys have done by this point Uh like you just said you do you do a a video about a week every week but i see you know some of those are part two part three years like how many how many guesstimate um a lot (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, too many. I have trouble mem- remembering like yesterday. Um, I mean, when we first started, we were doing one, one a month. You know, oh, we weren't wow. at a point where we were being able to produce them that fast until we got the hang of things, and then we decided, you know, we we really want to focus on this a lot more and put more content out. And then eventually, we were doing about two or so a month. But the thing is, though, you know, I can honestly say from just my perspective my knowledge we were doing documentary style uh episodes before they were popular Mm, mm -hmm. you know i honestly i can honestly say and i'm not saying this because i'm not trying to be an egotistical person about this but um i like promoting my friends my friends put a lot of hard work into this too yeah you know we were one of the first groups using drones for b-roll shots so i mean we're always trying to be ahead of the curve for uh, quality filmmaking, but we weren't, you know, we're, we weren't the type where we were, we were going to um, sacrifice integrity for it. So we put a lot of hard work in it because when you use, I think we use two, normally about three cameras, three, three recorders. Um, so it takes all those hours to go through the material, decide what's good, what's not. And then when Ryan was editing, he was spending any and still does, it spends anywhere from 80 to 120 man hours just to edit an episode. Whoa. Oh, wow. I, I was going to ask you but, who was drawn the short stick for editing all of that. Oh, that's, well, that's that's what he loves to do. He went to school for uh, oh. cinematography at Point Park in Pittsburgh for that. That's his passion. And uh, Dave's also really, really good with production. And that's, you know, right down his alley as well. Um, and I deal a lot with the, uh, if there's, anything demonic and stuff like that. And Jason's kind of like one of the uh, the big creative minds. He's always come up with something uh, unique and sometimes we think it's kind of out there. And when it, when it actually, you know, when it actually comes to fruition, you're like, oh man, that was actually, that makes a lot of sense, you know? So it's, you know, there's always, every person you know, has their strong points, I, I think with PQ. And, and it's never been like, People go, who's your lead investigator? Who's this? Who's this lead? There's no leads. Yeah, There's you, no... you guys bounce off each other really well. Yeah, we we don't promote that whole um, apex, the whole 
I'm the leader, this isn't that type of crap, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that just promotes problems from what we've seen. We've, you know, working in the prison, you know, we, we've seen that pretty much every type of group you could think of from TV down to YouTube has come through those doors to investigate. And, you know, they have lead investigator, lead tech, lead this, and then they come in with like five trunks of gear and they spend an hour on their phone, an hour setting up, and, you know, there's only four of us. We don't have our own team. So we, we should all the B-roll, produce everything. We spend probably an anywhere on average of 10 to 12 hours on site, you know, on location shooting. And it's, it's pretty much down to a science now. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I think that makes it, makes it a lot easier. Okay, and I, I heard you say that you generally contribute the uh, demon demonology stuff. Do you do you actually consider yourself a demonologist? I know you were an, an ordained minister. A lot of you know demonologists they they do come from that aspect of it, like a, a theological aspect. I let I me mean, answer. Some people use demonologists. I'm. Sh- I think there's a lot of titles invented by men that are all meant to mean one thing, but (laughs) you know, everything has to be, everything anymore has to be reinvented. Yeah. Well, ultimately it's just having a a really big, you know, kind of idea about that subject and a a lot of understanding about that subject. That's what's most, most important about it. I mean, would you agree? Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. I just, uh, I come at it from a different angle than I think a lot of people I've met so far in the paranormal community and a lot of them, you know, I mean, what's nice with the paranormal community so far is, you know, you can agree or disagree and still be really, really good friends and colleagues. Mm-hmm. Um, I come from a Christian standpoint, which is somewhat rare, I feel, in the paranormal community. But, you know, I've had some people that aren't, that you know, they don't follow that belief structure. But, you know, I've had them call me when they need trouble or, or, or when they needed help with trouble. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So you know, it's you know, it's fine, you know. But if and when you need help, you know, I'm not going to say no. I'm not going to be like that. So, <laughs> you know, I, I it's it's strange because when I got into this stuff, I did not expect to meet um, these type because I have met you know some very good friends now. They're they're uh, you know Christian based. That's their background, and then they're also interested in the paranormal as well. And I I know I wasn't expecting that coming in, but you do come across you know types such as yourself here and there and it's it's really cool i don't know it's just kind of profound um that you can be that open-minded about things well have you i just i, I feel a lot of uh i just feel a lot of uh pastors and ministers that are missing a lot of opportunities to help people with spiritual problems because you know, they, they don't want to leave from they don't, they don't want to leave behind the, the pulpit yeah yeah you know and then you think about it you know theologically speaking you know, historically speaking, Christ didn't always speak in the in the temples. He was out and about amongst the people. He was out, you know, reaching out to them where they're struggling from, not waiting for them to come to the to the to the temple to to seek help. Because some people just don't feel comfortable doing that for whichever for whatever reason. But you know, doesn't mean you can't go and help them. Maybe they think they have to be that strict about it. Like they can't allow themselves to go there otherwise it's it's going against you know their their foundational belief but i i don't know i'm kind of i'm with you on that like i think they're really leaving an opportunity there on the table um something got lost in translation there but i'm with you because one of the main things that says if two or more gathered in my name there you will find me it doesn't say where it just says if two or more gathered in my name it doesn't matter where it's at well i think you're coming at it from a, a really good 
point of view. Well, have you um, have you ever personally, since this is kind of your focus on the team, mm-hmm. have you ever personally experienced or witnessed a demonic presence or an attack, anything like that? Uh, yeah, there's been multiple ones. Um, I think in some cases, some of the ones that do happen, I mean, it's not like watching The Conjuring or something, but um, but I think that a lot of times when they do happen, uh, some folks, I think, have been so conditioned to them that when they do happen, they miss it. And that's sometimes I feel the beginning stages of what could be a far more worse uh, scenario that could be ahead of them in their, somewhere in their lifetime. Like they're just not seeing it? Yeah, well, that, I mean, we'll just say, you know, for example, um, I go to the gym a lot. I lift a lot. I don't, I don't use lifting gloves. So I'm getting calluses. I have calluses on my hands that weren't there before. And those calluses don't, you know, don't have as much feeling in them as if I were to touch another part of my hand that doesn't have a callus. So spiritually speaking, if you're around that type of energy a lot, if you're not protecting yourself the proper way with the proper uh, measures, then you will become spiritually callous to that to the point where you're not sensing it anymore. It's normal to you. And that becomes a very... uh, I feel a very dangerous position to be in because how do you know to keep protecting yourself if you're numb to the signs of something, you know, negative going on in your life? Because in a way, you know, the greatest enemy that one will ever have is one that convinces you he doesn't exist. So if you don't think your enemy is there, then you're not going to be watching out for him. And a lot of people aren't, um, you know, we're, we're not brought up, like I know personally, I, I was not brought up with, with any kind of theological foundation, though I was brought up very open-minded to mm-hmm. to everything, you know, the, the mysterious and paranormal and all of that. But I, I don't think I ever heard of the stages until I started research for this show. Um, do you know what I'm talking about? Like uh, oppression and uh, encroachment. Infestation, uh, yeah. oppression, possession. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So if there is... I, th- I mean, it's an interesting way to look at it. You know, And it could be very well, you know, a very, you know, close and perfect way to, to, to look at it. You know, uh, to look at the, uh, this, you know, the stages, the process of what might lead into uh, a very... <laughs> nasty unfortunate situation for somebody right right well if you if you do put you know uh stock into those stages you know as you're reading through them they do get progressively worse and you can see how somebody might be experiencing you know one of the earlier stages and yeah not be very aware that something's going on because it it can be subtle you know sneaky and subtle right and then one thing that you and everyone you know needs to realize that with these evil these demonic entities um, <laughs> we're on their time. They're not on our time. So the whole man-made conception of time, I would probably go out on a limb to say it does not really apply to them. You know, someone, let's say person A and there's a person B. Person A may go through all three stages in a week. Well, person B may go through all three stages in two months, two years maybe, because of the different characteristics, the degree, uh, the relationship they may or may not have with, with God and yours or whatever, you know, it, there's a lot of what ifs there, you know, someone could zip right through the three stages and all of a sudden, you know, oh crap, you know, this is something really, really bad going on here. Or you can have the other person doesn't really show signs of it. Like you, like you mentioned until later on down the road. Okay. Cause you're, you're, you're saying that ultimately it's going to come down to the entity anyway making that decision 
how long it lasts well, or, or is it more about the faith not, of the person? Not so much the making. Well, I think that and that's just saying if the person, basically what I'm saying is if the person's not making an effort to help themselves. Okay. okay. You know, it may, there's no, there's no guaranteed time frame of how long or how short it would take for someone to go through the three stages. Now, someone's, if someone is properly protecting themselves, then yes, you know, a person can withstand the uh, the attacks of 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 you know, the the demonic entity and it do and do well with in life. Now, biblically speaking, theologically speaking, you know, there all there is going to be spiritual warfare daily, and that's where prayer and uh, for oneself and prayer for others. You know, you can pray for other people, and to to keep your mind. For me, at least, you know, for 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 me, uh, to keep my mind as best Christ-centered and theologically correct as possible, and that's not saying going out and treating people bad and you know being a uh, domineering person about it. That's just me taking care of me, because I can sit here and pray for somebody for their protection, for their you know spiritual betterment, and that positive prayer, or some people say, well, positive might be like a positive energy. That's you know a different way of looking at it. You know might actually help that person, but it still comes down to the person wanting to help themselves. You know we can't live someone's life for them. In my opinion, that's not the way we were created. We were not created to live other people's lives for them, but to be there for them and to be kind and a positive light. Because one of my favorite things that always helps me to remember that no matter how bad my day might get, someone else is always going to need you know, some, some kindness as well. And that, you know, no, it always helps me out. Well, and that kind of, so. kind of in a weird way that, that brings us into smoothly into me being able to ask you all about your museum, because I kind of see what you're doing there as, as a service to others, yep. like a, like a good service. Um, now, now before anything, That's what is, it was intended to. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, is this, this is an open to the public museum. Yes. Like you can walk in. Yes. Okay. Okay. Um, when, when and why did you start collecting haunted objects? Well, um, that already started PQ. That was kind of, it was very, very new at the time. And at the time, I had a gym and fitness center, and next door, I had a little lunch diner set up. And in that building, there was a small room that used to be a poker room with the previous uh, business center, and I, but I didn't want to do that. So it sat empty for a few weeks. And then one summer, Ryan, Dave, and I decided to go do a trip to Gettysburg, and I wanted to treat everybody. They had a meet-and-greet at this small, like, spiritualist museum, with Alexandra Holzer, daughter of Hans Holzer, and while there, I'm looking at it, and it was a, it was a, it was a small area, it was like a little one floor of a townhouse, pretty much. And I'm thinking this could be something kind of fun for my little room that I have, because I was still doing tours at the prison, you know, I was still doing day tours and night tours there, mm-hmm. and I could add my own little creative eye to it, theme to it, or whatever. So when I got back, I budgeted myself fifty bucks. And I started collecting people's opinions on ghosts, uh, people's opinions on what they thought, you know, ghosts were, why they, you know, why they stayed behind or whatever. And then I started um, printing out, um, typed out, framed, of course, everything was typed out and framed, um, 
paranormal theories, uh, definitions, different things like that. And then I started collecting like just some creepy artwork here and there just to kind of decorate the room up. So when people would come in to get a bite to eat, I'd say, okay, we're going to make your, we're going to work on your food. Over there is a little complimentary museum if you want to go and read, and we'll come and get you when your when your meal's ready. That's kind of how the museum got started. Mm-hmm. So I, it started in a little poker room on fifty dollars, <laughs> and it's this will be the twelfth year I've had it, and uh, it's it's outlasted the gym and the diner. I kind of miss my gym though, <laughs> <laughs> but the haunted items would just start popping up once in a while. Go do my day tours, come back, and my volunteer at the diner and say, "Hey, some lady dropped this doll off. Said it creeped her out. She didn't want it anymore." And sometimes I'd get more of a history behind an item, and pretty soon I'm like, oh, "Okay, this this could be a nice little um, additional uh, element to the museum, you know, haunted items." And then pretty soon I got into, I mean, I'll be upfront and honest, you know, one of the biggest people I like to follow because I've, I've met him. He's a super super nice guy. It's John Zathis. Oh, you know, and he's, yeah. Not seen it, but what I've seen on videos and stuff has a tremendous, an amazing collection of haunted items and stuff like that. So I'm like, well, we kind of do like this a little bit and have some fun. And then pretty soon, like I said, it outlasted all the other jobs I had at the time. And then we had to move it to a community center here in town. The old is an old Sanford Elementary where I went through all six grades. And we were there for about five years. And eventually the city decided they're going to take back over and tear it down, which was very sad. You know, I had a lot of amazing memories there from my childhood and got kind of sentimental about it because where I live is right across the alley from it. And my bedroom is like faces the back of the house. So I got to wake up, listen to him, tear it down and watch him tear it down from, from the beginning of my day to the end of my day when I would get in bed and oh, that, sleep. Would, that would break my heart having to watch that. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, you know, the thing is with that school is just like, Every day was fun. You know, there was, yeah. from the six years I went there, there was never one fight. All the kids had fun. I mean, shoot for Halloween, if the, if the weather was fine. All the kids got to dress up, wear their costumes to school. And they did a, a little Halloween parade where the kids around the block. And all the, all the people would come out on their porches and wave, you know, wave you know, the kids and give out candy. And, you know, it was just a very, very fun school. And unfortunately, I think a lot of those days are going for kids nowadays. And I think it's very sad. You know, that a lot of them don't get to have the fun that, you know, we did when we were younger. But. <laughs> yeah. I don't know any kids <laughs> personally uh, today to ask, but, yeah, I do remember my childhood being, I think you and I are about the same age, but uh, I do remember my childhood being pretty carefree. You know, I lived out in the middle of, middle of nowhere and just kind of, you know, playing in the creeks and catching frogs and just weird kids stuff, you know, <laughs> just like nothing. I should have been in the country. I was raised in the city, but <laughs> oh. it wasn't a big city. Oh. All I knew is when the street lights come on at night, I better start uh, start making my way back home. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that that was the universal law. Yeah, every kid knew that. Oh yeah, <laughs> oh yeah. Well, then my my mom's a good cook, so I definitely I knew dinner was ready. So my mom was was too, but like within the realm mm-hmm. of like five rotating meals, but they were amazing. I know. <laughs> Just you can't beat mom's cooking. All right, so so they they unfortunately tore down where. You yes. were housing the museum before, and you you moved it into where it's at now. It's it's a much bigger location, is that right? It is a bigger location, but it's in a very much smaller town, and I don't plan on staying at this location forever. Oh, okay. Um, it's just it's just not ideal for business. Um, but if I could if I could take the house and 
pick it up and airdrop it somewhere else would be ideal. It's a, it has more than enough room. It's laid out very, very nicely. It's just the town is like a half an hour away from civilization, I feel. so. Oh, so it would be like a destination type thing. Yeah, and there's nothing people else. People have to know your... And there's nothing else for people to do, mm-hmm. which is not really the town's fault. It's just a very... It's an old coal mine town, you know, and it's just not a big business much anymore from what I can tell out there. I got you. Okay. Well, what um, within your collection, are do you have possession of any uh, very well-known objects that people might know or be familiar with? Well, um, I do have a book that's been on a couple, like two or three top 10, like most haunted items on YouTube. <laughs> Ooh, uh, what's that? And I didn't even know about it. And my friend goes, hey, you're on a top 10 list. I'm like, for what? <laughs> I'm like, what are you talking about? You know, but it's a, uh, it's a Dr. Seuss foot book in my friend, R. Shane Berge, had an investigation. Now, he's moved to Texas multiple, many years back. Um, and the lady had what she was reporting were footsteps around her house and the sound of children talking and laughing. So he went and investigated her house and asked her, is there anything new been brought into the house? She, she said, yeah, these two items here. So he investigated with the items one-on-one and pretty much pinpointed that to his best opinion it came from the dr seuss book he asked where did the book come from she said i got it from a yard sale and she told him the address and so on and so forth so he researched the um, address and found out that next door to said address was the scene of a quadruple homicide and there are bloodstains on the cover of the book (gasps) what so unfortunately what happened there was a husband and wife they had two boys I believe both of the people were from Pakistan. Both were doctors. Well, the wife was wanting a divorce because she was accusing her husband of being verbally abusive, and I would probably assume physically abusive, but that's just, you know, my take on the matter. It tends to go hand in hand. Um, and I don't know if she asked or just voluntarily. Her father came down from Canada for moral support, and her sister came over from California for moral support. Now her sister brought her two-year-old Nasira with her. So they came over to spend time with uh, the wife while the divorce pro- process was going on. Now, after a while, friends of the wife uh, noticed that she was missing, she missed a few days of work unannounced. So one of the friends, or a couple, I'm not sure, went over to check on her, do a welfare, you know, wellness check, and uh, discovered that the wife, the dad, the the sister and the sister's two-year-old uh, were all four stabbed multiple times with their throats cut. And the husband was arrested at JFK Airport. Uh, the two sons were with him, and they were on their way to Pakistan. So he's on death row in Ohio. I'm not sure what happened to the two boys. Wow. Wow. Uh, but we feel that the little two-year-old uh, is attached the book. Okay. But we've also heard what we thought might have been faint adult voices too, so we're not sure. But we did hear that there was uh, a little girl's voice. Now, do you think, in your experience, does it always take something just massively tragic or dark or negative like that, like that occurrence, to put an attachment onto an object? Um. I don't think there's a definitive answer to that. I, I personally don't. I personally don't. Um, 
does it happen a good bit? Yes. You know, that's a lot of energy, a lot of emotion being expelled onto an item or an area. So that would, I think, definitely make it very, very possible. To, but I don't feel that it needs, I don't think, I feel that it has to. Okay. Okay. But that would just be, in your opinion, that's that's just kind of one part of it. Yeah. That's like, I, I think a lot of items that I find very, I kind of use these terms loosely just to kind of help me uh, explain to guests that don't, that haven't been in the paranormal field. Um, I use the word charged a lot and charged meaning, at least for me, just to make it easy to, again, explain to people that we have found that there, this item has like, uh, let's say responded with from a K2 meter or a REM pod, for example, but there was no intelligent communication. It just basically showed signs of having an EMF charge to it. Now, sometimes if I use the word haunted or haunted, you know, an item, indicates you know the emf uh, signal has been linked or what would say a emf signal has been linked to the item but there's also also been what we feel intelligent communication with the from the item as well so it's like you have to have both i feel for like the whole title of haunted and then, again this is just to make it a little bit easier for people who have no clue you know the terminology for investigating just kind of simplifies it for them and then it falls into the category of uh, items that I feel are cursed or possessed, whichever someone wants to go with. And that's just indicated that it's a negative type of situation. I, I, I appreciate you saying that the, about the charged, calling it that, because that's kind of a, it was a question that I had in the last uh, season that I did, trying to decipher what I thought about uh, you know, haunted or uh, attached items. And, and that is a concept I didn't really go too much into, but just the, this idea that there's not an intelligent energy or entity, but there is an energy to it, something, it, it's charged. That's a really good uh, descriptor of, of it. I just feel like for some folks that aren't familiar, it's, it's a word that's easy to <laughs> know what it means. You know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, do you, so you're, you're regularly bringing in these objects. Do you, um, co- is it common for you to bless or bind the objects as they come in? Um, I do. I, I use uh, blessings if I feel they need it. Um, I don't, I don't use any binding techniques or anything like that. I, uh, I use uh, straight scripture. Uh, nothing else. I don't even use holy water or anything like that. Oh, okay. Um, okay. Uh, it just for me, coming from a Protestant standpoint, um, just for me, my opinion, I guess, uh, anything other than scripture for me would be me considering something more powerful than the God that I worship. So therefore, for me, that would make it an, 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 like an idol almost. So I, it's like, you know, or if you want to bust up a cinder block, are you going to use a normal hammer or are you going to use a sledgehammer? So, you know, like, I got you. Don't yeah, mess around with it. Yeah. Just go for the throw with it. You know what I mean? Just go for the, <laughs> go for the whole thing. Yeah. Because yeah. I, I, um, I, okay. Oh, I, I was just uh, going to mm-hmm. make some comment about the Warrens, you know, that it, it just brings to mind, you know, of course, with their um, uh, Annabelle, you know, in the <laughs> just bound in that glass case. And I, I don't know personally how well I would sleep at night, you know, um, not knowing that there were extra precautions. I have a, I have a doll and we have, well, now that I moved to, it's basically a big house. 
um, where I was at, I had two classrooms running for my items, but now I have a house, I could separate things. I kind of have different themes in the rooms, and the one room that I express to people, this is an optional room, is the room that we call, uh, I've just kind of come to call it the dark room. These are the items that come from the demonic cases, the malevolent cases, um, items that have been known to scratch people, harm people, different things like that. And one of the dolls in that room is a three-foot doll, which I call the Hope doll. And we've only named her that. I, I went with the name, I kept it out of sarcasm because we were investigating with her one night and this little girl's voice came across. And I just from... The energy itself, I know from from experience that it's not a little girl. And um, <laughs> someone asked her what her name was, and she's like, Hope. I'm like, I'm like, you're full of crap. Yeah. So, <laughs> but the name kind of stuck, you know. And but we've actually picked her up moving by herself on an SLS cam and a, a handheld night shot camera from like four feet away. Um, she's scratched multiple people, pushed multiple people. Um, she's I don't know, she's just a nasty, nasty conduit. And I've had one lady, and I'm not saying this just to, I'm not trying to start anything, because I've never been to the Warrens Museum. That's why I kind of mentioned this. But this one lady went to an event, or somehow, some way, she got to see the real Annabelle doll. And she said that the Hope doll bothered her more being around it than, than that. And I'd like, I mean, I'd like to, I'm not the type, the whole, where people are like, well, my collection's this and it's better. That's not, that's not me. My opinion, the more people collecting these items and keep, keeping them out of the general public, the better. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I, I, I want to see the ones when you see really bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, Steve, do they ever bother you or try to bother you? Um, being very sensitive to, to the, the, sometimes I call them the vibes. <laughs> the energies and stuff, you know, it can get kind of uncomfortable. But I think that's what I tell a lot of people that, I mean, I go to a different church now, mainly because of my other church not really understanding why I do what I do. And cause they don't want to, they don't want to listen to my, my motive, what I feel like I'm called to do with this. And it's because it's, it's not the, uh, the, st- you know, the status quo. It's not the normal thing to do. But being that I've collected this stuff, and having been involved with paranormal investigating, it's really, it's one of the main factors why I have a stronger prayer life now. Because being involved with this, especially the dark stuff, not promoting it, but researching it and helping people deal with it, it's made me realize that I'm not necessarily as big and bad as I wish I was. That I've actually grown to confide more in my faith in Christ and God rather than myself, because nine times out of ten I'm going to fail myself at something or whatever I'm doing. You know, my body's going to fail me because I can't live forever. So I'm not going to worship myself. I'm not going to view myself like that because you know I try to always keep my mind where these um, try to keep myself founded with the uh, Christ Foundation rather than my my own. And I think the uh, having the museum, having the collection and being able to meet the friends I have and help the people that I have. I always hope that I've helped. That's my biggest wish is to help people that it's, I think it's made me a, um, spiritually a stronger person than if I'd never had, had been involved with it. 
Yeah. And I mean, and that that goes back to, you know, what we were saying before is like, you're doing a a service, you're doing good, you're keeping these potentially dangerous objects off the streets and out of out of hands. Um, Let's say, how would you recommend uh, just a regular person out there handle a haunted or possessed object it, it, you know if is there anything that just the regular person can do if it is something that's bothering them well this being the scenario where someone if someone were to contact me okay <laughs> always always word it that way so people don't i don't want to come across preachy so if someone were contacting me meaning that they're confiding in my opinion um this again is another way I view things a little bit differently than some do for spiritual protection. Uh, again, as you know, I come from a, a Christian standpoint with this. And in in the manner of that, the person I would tell them to focus on themselves first, focus on becoming or developing a stronger relationship with. And again, in my opinion, I'm always adding that because I always get worried when people get mad at me. Uh, focus on focus on a relationship with christ because it works it works for me and when you do that he is going to be the shield he's going to be the protection that the person needs you know so again remember how i mentioned like the whole holy water thing using a sledgehammer as compared to using a, a normal hammer um if uh if a person accepts and follows in this case, uh, the Christian foundation, then they're going to eventually, it's going to become apparent at some form that they're following something way more powerful and able than what is actually scaring them, being an item. So can an item become haunted or charged, possessed? I feel yes, in a way, but I also feel that people enable that as well when they entertain the item as being if they entertain the fear of the item as more powerful than, in my case, would be more powerful than God. Same way as if you were look, as I look at the holy water uh, example. So basically founding, for me, example, by founding my um, spiritual foundation, my spiritual protection foundation through Christ, I, I know, at least from my experience in life, that that is way more powerful than any evil that could be conjured up by the evil one. So in this case for that person, when they realize that that's the light at the end of the tunnel, I feel that that really can help open the door for more peace and more happiness that way, if that makes sense. I mean, in a way it's mind, it's mind over matter, basically in a way, another little way to look at it. You know, if, for example, if I were to say that the hope doll I have, if I would entertain the fact that, oh, I can't even go in that room or touch that doll because, you know, she scares me too much. I'm too, I'm too frightened of her, you know, what she might do. If I were to do that rather than cast my fears, concerns upon the foundation that Christianity has given me, that Christ has given me, then I got a lot more problems to worry about. (laughs) But because I feel that, you know, Christ has my back and I'm not doing that nonchalantly, but you know, he's kept his word so far, you know, I mean, none of us are guaranteed to physically live forever. So, I mean, praying to live forever is kind of out of the question, but spiritual protection and living a happy life while we're here, he helps. He's, I mean, he's, it's, it's helped me. 
So I, I can't, I can't go against that. I wouldn't be being truthful. No, I, I appreciate that. And I, I appreciate that you that you flushed out that, uh, that answer for me that that's very clear for me. Well, um, yeah, I so appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it was perfect. Um, so we are getting near the end of the episode. This this one went really fast. My goodness. Um, but we do have a couple minutes left. I was yeah. hoping I could con you into uh, to answering some some fast <laughs> speed round questions for me. These are just general you know kind kind of geared towards you in your life but just more generalized questions for you if you're down oh no no i'm nervous <laughs> you're nervous <laughs> nothing everybody says that nothing to be nervous about yes all right so what is something you have experienced or seen that you still don't quite know how to explain i would say uh i didn't quite see it but it was a dream i had and the only thing I could think of, it would be kind of, it might have been sleep paralysis, maybe, I don't know. I, I know for certain I was asleep because I woke up, I was in my bed. And all I recall is being asleep, being unconscious, and all of a sudden I became conscious. My eyes were open, but I could not see anything. I could not feel anything. I just felt that I was suspended into nothingness. I didn't even feel wind or anything. And then all of a sudden, all my muscles, like my arms, my legs, my back just start cramping up and uh, contorting. And I grew very, very spiritually scared. Like, I felt very oppressed in a way, like, you know, very uncomfortable. And um, I remember I started I started to pray, but it, I was so just drained that I couldn't even, I felt like I couldn't even speak. Like, I couldn't even think to say what I wanted to say. And eventually I did, and I started to wake up. And I always sleep with my feet towards the wall of my bed. <laughs> I sleep with my head towards the middle of the room. That's weird. But when I woke up, it was pitch black in my room, but I could sense, and I just, I swear, I, I could sense that there were three individual beings or entities in my room with me, that eventually that just, that feeling dissipated, and then I eventually went back to sleep. That was one thing that I kind of didn't see, but sense, that it was hard for me to explain. Wow, what an experience. That that kind of gives me chills, that, that feeling of kind of suspended in and, and darkness and no control. I, could, I couldn't even move my arm. Like, if you watch those people in those, uh, well, those wind tunnels or whatever, like where they're kind of like, like five, six feet off the ground, they're like mimicking maybe a free fall or something. Yeah, yeah, like, probably, the, like the fake skydiving tunnels. It was like that, but there was no wind, there was nothing. It was just like the quietest night on like a, like a winter night, like there was nothing. Yeah, that one would have me kind of kind of confused, too, or just not knowing what to think. Okay, um, next one. Have you had any locations that ended up being surprising to you, either ending up as more active than you thought or far less active than you thought going in? Well, we'll do one of each. So that's kind oh, of a okay. cool. You can do a one of that one. Okay. Um, the one location that surprised me, by not having a lot of activity, but it had to have been the Conjuring House in Rhode Island. But I will say it had that heavy charged feeling to it, like like something was about ready to happen. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But nothing quite happened when we were there. But I would go back multiple times if you have the opportunity. That place was awesome. It was, <laughs> it was so cool. Um, now a place that where a good bit of activity happened that. I didn't uh, anticipate. I would honestly say, um, just to give it a shout out to, uh, 
uh, the former uh, Sanford School, the former community center um, that unfortunately was just recently torn down that the museum used to be in mm-hmm. because it really gave a sense, a false sense of security off because that place, we kept it spotless. Like floor was always waxed. You know, there was always birthday parties. People always used it. But TQ included and other groups that investigated at night. One of them, while leaving, because I still had to go through and walk doors up and stuff, the guy looked at me and said, you know, we were wanting to investigate here because we did not anticipate what we got to here. Because so it, it didn't, visually didn't fit the uh, whole decrepit building look and, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But full three-dimensional shadow figures, people being watched, footsteps in the hallways when no one else is in the, I mean, I remember a time sitting at my desk doing book work. My museum room's on the second floor, and I know for a fact all the doors were locked because I would go lock and get back to my room and work. That way I didn't worry about kids sneaking in and running through the hallway. That was always a problem. But with all the doors locked, you know, you can hear downstairs was, you know, where I'm at. And I'd hear shuffling footsteps, and I'd have to get on and look to make sure no, no kids got in. And there's, there's no one in there. But you always felt like you were being watched or followed in that school. <sighs> and uh, there's one one of my favorite EVPs. It came through our pedal box, and it was an investigation we did there. I'll never forget it. Ryan and Dave were together, and I was with Jason downstairs. And the very first principal that school had, her name was Miss Alice Sanford. And Dave and Ryan were on the second floor at the corner because it was just an L-shaped building. And he asked her, who all's here with us? And you hear Miss Sanford, I mean, just crystal clear class A EVP. I mean, that place was, that place was amazing. <laughs> like, how, how can you deny that type of evidence? And people yeah, would, I mean, and that's, that's crazy confirming. Wow. I mean, there's so many things out there that people, listen to this, 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 and all your... Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this, this, it, I don't know what you're hearing. It sounds like an exhaust pipe going off. Um <laughs> <laughs> no, you got to go class. What is it called? Class A, right? That's the clearest yeah, Christmas. Yeah, this was this was a beautiful EVP. Wow! And the fact that there was only, for my knowledge, only one teacher slash principal with the last name Sanford, and the school opened in 1909, I believe. And she she was the first principal there, and she was actually forced to retire. She's like in her 60s when she retired. And yeah. Who's here with us tonight? And you're Miss Sanford. Huh. And yeah, and so she still ended up. Oh great! Up... Now I want to start getting kind of, kind of, uh, kind of sad now because now it's all it's, uh, coming I up. that to myself. Yeah. No, that's okay. It's it's a totally nostalgic, um, you know, nostalgic thing. It's crazy, you know. So far removed. I'm I'm still very nostalgic about uh, about my old grade school. You know, a lot of memories created there. A whole life is created in those first few years, too. So I get that. Yeah. All right. Well, how about one more? We'll, we'll kind of veer off the, uh, the sadness here. <laughs> All right. <laughs> life All right. is drama. It, life is indeed <laughs> drama. That is the quote for this show. That's what's going on in the graphics. Um, who or what has been your biggest inspiration behind your involvement with the paranormal hmm. that's, that's tough i really see I, I started in the paranormal during a time where i really didn't know hardly anyone or watch a lot of the paranormal shows none of my family really got into it i mean they never they never got into it i, I don't know that's a tough question i don't want to say i i, I did not inspire myself i mean 
the curiosity was there. Maybe there was an un unseen inspiration going on behind the scenes. Maybe, you know. Maybe. Maybe it's a collection of different things. Collection of audio clips and video clips and a few words here and there by different people. I don't know. If you think of it, because we're all a product of our uh, of everybody and everything we hear or see in life. So we're all kind of a bunch of little carbon imprints from this. How we get affected by what people say and do and, and whatnot. Huh. Kind of like that, yeah. Like the the cumulative, um, I don't know, version of of everything, the collection of everything that's come before, um, creates you and and puts you where you are. Yeah. So it makes you really think: Am I really myself, or am I just a collection of everything else? Yeah, <laughs> we're gonna go existential here. <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, you uh, you are just awesome. I really appreciate you doing this, Steve. Um, I appreciate the opportunity. It's been an honor. Well, uh, where would you like people to find and follow you or learn all about the archive of the Afterlife Museum or uh, follow any of Paranormal Quest stuff? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Paranormal Quest can be found on YouTube, on Facebook, uh, Instagram. Uh, my museum archive of the afterlife, primarily um, any all information on it. Uh, I use the Facebook page uh, for all of that. So for all official information, news, updates on the museum, uh, go to Facebook. All right. Very cool. And before we close it all out, Steve, did you have any final thoughts you would like to leave with my audience? Well, first of all, if you want to go and be happy and enjoy life, that'd be the best thing to do. You can't find happiness and make your happiness. Um, <laughs> again, want to thank you for the opportunity to be on here, and hopefully uh, I didn't make it too wordy and uh, boring <laughs> for the people listening. Uh, but definitely want to thank them for taking the time out of their day to uh, join the show. <laughs> well, I thought it was wonderful, um, and I know that they will too. So uh, just thank you once again, Steve. It's, it's really been an honor and, and so much fun to have you. Thank you again so much, Steve. It was such a pleasure, sir. And listeners, I've got to give you guys a major shout out and thank you. It seems after the last episode, some of you jumped on the Kickstarter campaign train for the Tarot of the Unexplained. I like that. Ooh. And you showed up for my friend at DaveZilla.art. He's got about 15 days left to reach his goal, and I believe he can do it. Some of the rewards he's got up there for pledges are so cool. Downloadable wallpaper, stickers, shoutouts, but dudes, there is a pledge level where the reward literally is the deck itself. I mean, how cool is that? So check out the link and spread the word, folks. At Paranorm Girl Pod is the handle for all of the socials. ParanormGirlPod at gmail.com is the email for your stories of the unexplained and weird. And you is smart, funny, and really, really, really good looking. Have a fantastic week, you guys. And remember, stay safe, keep the nightlight on, and sleep with one eye open.